0: so we get up to the target the bradley maneuvered into position and there's like (sighs) this tank round just flies out of nowhere and then you start to hear like tink 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 tink, and the ramp goes down and we peel out and i've ran towards the target building and as i like clear all the stuff there's smoke and stuff and i just get this weird feeling like not everybody's with me so i kind of like take a knee and i'm like waiting nobody's running by me and i'm realizing you hear like snap 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 and then all of a sudden, like I get the squeeze in his mark behind me. So we go up to the front door. So I ran up, kicked it open, and it propels me f- past the first two rooms. I'm like on my gun the whole time, and I just give the go upstairs. And as me and Chucky get to the top of the stairs, this machine gun fire just comes in, dude. And it comes in heavy. You could tell it was really close. And all of a sudden, you hear man down, like dire man down. And then he goes, we need a form it down here now. So I just—it's like three bounds down the stairs, and I get down to the stairwell. As we're coming down, I go to grab Mark, and another bunch of machine gun fire comes down through there. So I kind of like duck out of the way, and Mark is—he's down. And Nick, our EOD guys, we're turning fire. I catch Nick's eye; it looked like sheer terror—the um, look that he gave me. So grab Mark, and I drag him around that little alcove, and I just start cutting Mark's gear off. Um, you know, it was pretty apparent that he took one round right to the teeth. I could see the whole left side was, um, was already bruising. You could see it all on his cheek. Um, his face was like white and Mark was tan. I get the gear off and dude, I'm just doing like a quick assessment and dude, there's nothing man. I was like, we need a Kazovac now. It's like, all right, it's outside. So I go and I sling Mark up on there and I start carrying him, dude, and it, dude, it's heavy. You know
1: what I mean? Welcome to the Global Recon Podcast. I'm your host, John Hendricks. I'm on with my co-host, Chantel Taylor, former British Army combat medic. Uh, Chantel, it's been a couple of episodes. How's it going?
2: Yeah, good. Good to be back, John.
1: And we have a special guest on with us, Turbo. Turbo served for a number of years in the United States Navy. Um, he's had some intense experiences. He is a retired U.S. Navy SEAL. Turbo, it's an honor to have you on. How's it going?
3: Uh, thank you. Uh, it's been awesome. I uh, really appreciate um, Chantel and you, John, putting me on here.
1: Yeah, it's it's great. It's really great to have you on here. Um, you know, we got a couple of things to cover and talk about. I know the audience is going to appreciate a lot of it. Can we start like from the very beginning and, and just talk about what motivates you to join the Navy?
3: Yeah, sure, John. I, well, I grew up in a small town in uh, Pennsylvania, you know, kind of in the mountains. Not really a mountain man because we don't have big mountains up in Pennsylvania, but kind of a mountain man. We, you know, we had the true Four Seasons. But then I you know, went to college. I'm a graduate high school, small high school. And I went to college and wrestled in college with a Kurt Angle. Actually, he was a heavyweight. I was a 158-pounder. Oh, I was nice. a walk-on. Yeah, I was a walk-on at a, 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 a Division one wrestling school. And we, um, I ended up beating out uh, three state champions that were given scholarships. And I, I guess I, my motivation went through that. And I kind of burned out my freshman year in college. So I gave that up and I went back to my hometown and did another two and a half years of college. And yeah, so not three and a half years of college, started growing my hair out, started going down in the, the wrong path. So and obviously I didn't have my goals, short and long term goals set properly. And my father was a state cop. So you kind of, kind of can understand where this is going. So after yeah. three and a half years, 21 years old, I uh, was kind of voluntold to go join the military, oh, nice. which is probably the best thing in the world for me because I ended up joining the Navy because I I was trying to be a, some kind of a musician I thought I was going to be a rock star really I'm like okay yeah well that's a I'm a dreamer went up yeah. join the military for electronics and um next I know I'm in uh, Chicago and the bass gets taken over so and I'm like walking back to my classes in E3 you know with my little beanie hat on and my Bell bottoms with my books in my hand for electronic schools like a year and a half long, and I'm like, "Who in the heck are those guys?" They're like, "Oh, those are guys in Navy SEALs." I'm like, "Really? What's a Navy SEAL?" <laughs> I had no clue what a Navy SEAL was. I heard about Green Berets from the movie with uh, John Wayne, yeah, and the Rangers and all those book, uh, shows like that, but I never heard of a Navy SEAL before. So the first thing I did when I went to my room, actually, let me let me back up real quick. The reason the SEALs were on the base, they were doing uh, takedown missions, So they end up taking down the female uh, captain of the base and holding her hostage. And they were just checking the security of the bases at that time. And I think it was called Red SEAL. Uh, yeah, seal. yeah, yeah, I was yeah. So that was Dick Marcinko's group. And um, oh, anyways, nice. I went. first thing I did was buy the book. And I read it and like one day and I go, oh, I'm going to Bud's. <laughs> so I literally hand-walked my Bud's chit to the CEO, which is a female, and she, I mean, this is a year and a half school, a ton of schooling for this ET school thing, and she's like, all right, if you wanna go, you can go. So I end up graduating ET school, and going to Bud's in, a, in a 92, you know, like March of 92, and graduating Bud's in 92, December of 92, actually the date was December 18th, 1992. So you went straight through, through the whole thing? I, We had the straight through. We had 11 guys, 11 originals out of, I want to say it was 167 original people. And there was 11 original out of that that actually went through. So you always have other people that come into your class through different phases. Right, like people rolling back and stuff like that. Yeah, the rollbacks. And, you know, whether they didn't pass a run or a couple swims or they weren't tough enough during Hell Week or mentally strong or were they pull comp or land warfare, whatever, they get rolled back. But yeah, there's a... I was one of the select ones that went the whole way through that we call it one time every time, group, and um again wasn't high in myself, but one of the things that made me go through was in Hell Week. I don't know if I'm going too fast for you. I may I probably skipping a tons of stuff, but um, in Hell Week, my uh, best friend uh, died of cancer at age 22. Wow!
1: Oh. So
3: when I graduated Hell Week, I can remember seeing him. In, like, some dream. And again, I was also hallucinating because it's five days of pretty much a couple hours of sleep. Right. So you're already kind of walking zombie at that point. And what was kind of ironic about the whole death of my buddy from cancer at age 22 was that it was on my mother's birthday. Oh, wow. So, yeah, it was pretty weird. But after yeah. that, it, it was very easy for me. And again, I was already in physical good shape. And uh, the only problem I had was in pool comp because I never dove before.
1: There. Okay, so it's like doing the diving stuff, like the technical stuff.
3: Yeah, but just more about wasn't the technical portion that got it, got me. It was the uh, the being comfortable under the water when the instructor gives you the whammy knot and then throws you around in the water. I kind of wanted to fight back, being a wrestler and you know football and everything else. Want to fight back when when they do that, it just makes it worse. And it's the longer they hold you under, then you just pretty much asking for disaster. So the best thing to do is remain calm after this, just let them punch you 10 times in the gut, hit you in the head, wrap the knots around your neck for 10 seconds, and, and they'll let you go. Then you have all that time to get that off now, Fight, fighting him for 45 seconds. Now you got to hold your breath for three minutes. Now you're really screwed. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I mean if you want me to back up on a point right now with this, I mean Yeah. Any so I just wanna to to buds.
1: Yeah, I just wanted to ask, like in terms of um, you know, so you were wrestling in college, obviously you have to be in shape to be a, a college athlete or, you know, to be good at some kind of uh, athletic program on a college level. Um did you feel like when you when you began Buzz, did you feel like it was very difficult for you physically? and and how was that whole process and and you know kind of the uh the realization of of how difficult it was you know on your brain
3: yeah the uh the physical part of buds and actually the SIL teams was never uh really a hard thing for me I, I was i'm not i'm not high myself but i was always a you know sub 6 minute mile runner you know bench 225 30 35 reps you know 59 nice. 210 215 pounds. You know, good shot. I mean, everything else. But the, the problem I had was the mind. We call it the mind fuck. So it was the uh, the guy. Until you overcome that and start learning to uh, deal with it mentally, the mental games were the game. The games that got to me a lot. And I, I literally almost quit Hell Week if it wasn't for my b- best buddy in the Surf Zone. You know, the Surf Zone where the waves are crashing over your, your head. Your feet are facing the beach. The instructors are out there with bullhorns. And the water's crashing over. You do that for, I mean, sometimes up to three hours, you know, in 50-degree water. The sand's going up your sinus cavity. You're, you're interlocked with arms, and the instructors are yelling at me or everybody lined up in there because we're supposed to be a straight line. and We're not. We're all disconnected, discombobulated. And, you know, come like hour, two, two and a half, I'm like, screw this shit. I'm out of here. <laughs> and I'm literally getting ready to stand up. My buddy pulls me down. And like no screw you, and it, and it pulls me down again. And my left arm's not even connected to anybody. He's like up in the surf zone, floating. We got like three different chains going on. And next thing you know, literally a second later, instructor goes, "Okay, stand up, walk yeah. forward. Evolution secured." I'm like, "Thanks, brother." Yeah. So that kind of stuff's what what got me a lot. But after that one, I kind of got a little bit better with it. But then you had this other instructor sitting in this damn IBS in, in inflatable. Uh, Boats that we used to carry in our heads along with the logs for hours and hours on end. He's sitting in there, we're freezing, and that's one of the big things: is that the cold gets everybody. The, the triathlete, the Olympic runner, the swimmer; those are the first guys to go. Mentally, they can't handle the, the cold, and physically, it just gets to them. But anyways, this guy's uh, instructor sitting in this this uh, zodiac, you know, boat with a bullhorn and a cup of coffee, tea. Could be chocolate milk. Either way, he had steam coming off the top, so it was warm. Yeah, And um, <laughs> he's sitting there with a sweatshirt on. He, you know, could have been drinking whiskey, too. Who knows? But we're all <laughs> lined up there for hours just sucking it up. And he's talking on his bullhorn going, it's negative 20 degrees. You're in your igloo. <laughs> the fire went out. <laughs> a grizzly bear walks into the hole. What are you going to do? And he goes, okay, secure everybody, stand up. You guys are good to go. One of those kind of things. It's like, Jesus, how, when is this going to end? Right. But that kind of stuff you have to learn to deal with because I, I would say they can't kill you, but I think a couple guys have been uh, killed, not maliciously, but have passed because of you know, whether drowning or some kind of uh, disease they had that weren't they weren't right or fit, but not maliciously killing somebody during BUDS. So, Right. But uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much how I felt about the physical part. I mean, I, the physical parts never really bothered me, and uh, it's just but some guys it bothers them. But then they're they're completely amazing on the, other, the mental side. So if you can have a good mix of both, you're probably going to do pretty well.
2: And just to go back to a point that you brought up earlier. Um, you said that you'd you'd read a book, and I know that everyone has their own opinion on books and films and stuff. But currently in the UK, they're having real dramas with recruitment. So I think if, if, if someone writes a decent book and it's they're not giving away secrets or compromising guys anywhere, I think sometimes it can be a good thing because you you need to kind of look at someone or read something and, and be inspired maybe to to do what you did, you know? Did you did you feel like that?
3: I, I did. Back in 92, though, the book I read was Dick Marsenko, Rogue, Rogue Warrior. Yeah, And some of the books nowadays I – I'm not going to say anything, but I don't really, uh, respect a lot of them. Yeah. You know, I don't really want to put anybody down unless they're right in front of my face. But, um, that's, that's enough said about that on my part, you know?
1: Right. And, um, and, and just for reference, uh, Marsenko is, uh, you know, pretty much a legend in special operations as he's, uh, you know, the kind of the founder of the, uh, you know, the counterterrorism aspect of the Naval special yes. warfare. And, um, And I think he was in Vietnam, right, if I'm not mistaken? Oh, yes. Yeah. Okay.
2: And it's the same with our guys. I think, like, when you just spoke about him, obviously, with him being such a legend, if people leave it a fair few years to the point where, so for instance, guys that were on the Iranian embassy siege, to hear about that now is quite inspiring because they're kind of, they're so far past it that it's almost on public record anyway, you know? So that's me that's quite inspiring but i get i get what you're saying where it's so it depends if it's self-serving or not and you yeah. can tell you, you can kind of see the difference i think
3: absolutely i mean you, everybody's going to take away from what books they read and for what they want to take away from it so everybody's yeah. different right. everybody's to each their own i guess the saying is
2: yeah
1: right yeah and it's it's just interesting that you mentioned that as well because i know a lot of guys you know in that like 35 years old you know, kind of forty five age range who served in in uh, you know this these uh, you know wars in Iraq, Afghanistan, and elsewhere, have said that they were inspired as kids or teenagers reading books about Navy Seals from Vietnam or Force Recon guys from Vietnam, Green Berets or whatever. So I guess it's it's really a kind of have to walk a fine line when you're talking about putting out books that are going to inspire the next generation of warriors and putting out books that are kind of self-serving, so to speak. You know, I I guess it's really not easy to do, you know? Absolutely. Right. So, so now, you know, kind of going back to buds. Um, so I I just, you mentioned that your, your best friend had died of cancer and, um, it happened during hell week, obviously, you know, like you said, you're only on a few hours of sleep. So you guys are kind of, hallucinating, I think when you lose someone close to you, kind of have dreams or nightmares, you know, everybody's different. And kind of involving that person could be frequent, could happen once in a while. But in my personal experience, losing someone close to me kind of pushed me to, to work harder, if that makes any sense. Is is that something that you felt kind of happened to you?
3: Yes, yes, absolutely. So when my best friend died of cancer when I was... Uh... You know, we were young. I mean, she shouldn't be dying at 22 years old. But either way, um, again, on my mother's birthday, which is kind of even weirder. But the other thing is I remember that Hell Week was over, and I remember sitting up in the bed, and it was like 4 o'clock, 3.45 or 4 o'clock in the morning, sometime around there, and I kind of saw him going away. It was was very weird. And uh, I'll get into my spiritual take on life in a a little bit. But with that being said— I got a phone call into my room telling me to come up to the quarter deck. And it was my mom saying that Greg just died. So it was kind of a weird, kind of a literally like a five minute time frame where it kind of like happened again. I can't, okay, I'm just kind of, we're getting out of the subject here, but you know, you know, ghosts or ghost spirits or whatever. I, I mean, I kind of believe in that stuff because you feel the energy of it sometimes. And I don't know yeah. if everybody's felt it, but I, I have, you know, I'm not crazy, some kind of weirdo, but Oh yeah, you're gonna, you know, talk to this person in your afterlife. Now I don't know anything about that, but I did feel something weird that night. I don't know if it was something to do with him or whatever, but it was maybe it was ironic, maybe it was a coincidence. Oh well, whatever it was, but it happened.
1: And and you felt like that kind of helped, kind of you know, like light the fire under your ass, so to speak.
3: Yeah, I was already doing pretty good. I mean, I got in trouble a few times. I had to do you know a thousand eight count bodybuilders on Saturday for. Uh, pushing a couple uh, international students in a class that weren't putting out hard enough, so I got I had to I had to punish get punished for that because I didn't I can't stand people that are acting weak. So you know yeah. you got to do your part for as a team. It's a team effort here, so everybody's got to do. When somebody's holding, when there's six guys holding the, there five guys under the boat with their heads on and they're start struggling. There's a guy underneath. They're just walking with his head not touching. He's going to get pummeled. You know what I mean? He's going he's to get pushed to the ground and beat because, you know, we don't need you around. But, yeah, I kind of get punished that way. But in our long run, uh, my best friend, Dine, gave me that extra spark that I needed to make the rest of uh, Buds extremely easy. So,
2: but It's interesting you're saying about – like thinking about how hard Buds is and then I'm just now getting in my head being punished on Buds. So how hard's that, you know? So if you, oh,
3: you, the kicking and the kicking and the beast and the – Yeah, yeah. They don't do much of that anymore but I, I actually had the opportunity to go back to buds when one of my buddies which has now passed away in a motorcycle accident so <laughs> good god who's wow. next so uh, he was uh, the um, proctor the main proctor at buds at first phase and he actually had me come out as a guest instructor and i guess I'm, i was an amputee so obviously i went to the midnight to eight in the morning shift and um nobody quit so at Eight o'clock when I left, everybody would quit. Normally, that's the biggest quitting time frame. So they're like, "Okay, Turbo, you're not allowed to come back," and <laughs> we don't have our, our quota for the the bones. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they call it the Vampire Crew. So, but yeah, that was pretty neat. But again, yeah. it's still t- tough as it was back in my time. It's just a little different. Still hardcore guys. They're just built a little different mentally. I think. I, I can't. I can't say there is uh, mentally mentally, physically strong as one word, definitely mentally strong and physically strong, but not together as like, uh, I guess I call it Rocky one and Rocky four. We were mm. Rocky one and Rocky four kind of thing.
1: Right. Change, just still, kicks,
3: still kicks ass, but you know, just a little different uh, personalities, old school, new school. Right. I'm not going to use the millennial terms and all that stuff yeah. <laughs> like this. That. Uh, that's cheesy to me.
2: You just Yeah. <laughs> 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 it, and that's the worst thing about it. That word is really annoying, you know. So the fact that they use it for the subject matter is annoying. The word's annoying, isn't it?
3: Yeah, but I still think Rocky Force is pretty cool,
2: though. Yeah, <laughs> so your take's best. That's a better take on it. Cool.
1: So, um, so you now, you know, you, you make it through her week. Um, you know, made it through the entire thing in one shot. Uh, it's not easy to do, obviously. Um, I guess even even guys could perform, you know. I kind of top peak or or you know top levels, and then like hurt their ankle or something. So it's, I guess there's a lot that goes into making it through in one shot. And, you know, it's uh, it's pretty commendable. So okay, so now you make it through through buds, and um, you know, you go through there's an entire process of making it into teams and whatnot. Can we talk about
3: your injury? Absolutely. We can talk about it in, in general terms. Um, I'm not much to talk about myself. So I'll give you the basics. So, you know, obviously September 11th happened. Right. And, um, you know, we all went to war. So I ended up going to war at the very beginnings of the war. And I think I was a second amputee. First guy was a Marine Corps guy, stepped on a landmine that I recall. So I ended up going in a mission, uh, a rescue mission, to save one of my best friends. And actually my brother, uh, my work brother. And ended up getting hit by a machine gun fire on the the insertion. And um, 18 hours later, negative 20 degrees, 10,000-foot mountaintop, was rescued. Came back home, was amputated two weeks later, and um, returned. Did my own physical therapy through the command. Pretty much uh, the hospital the military hospital I went to, didn't even realize what I was doing because we kept it kind of undercover. And then um, redeployed nine months later with my team and um, got back out. Um, Came back and decided, uh, I guess I don't need to be going back over there anymore. I thought facing my demons was going to be a good thing, but it just made it worse. Mm. So...
1: So, you know, obviously that's something very difficult to go through, um, you know, to, to be wounded in combat and then, uh, you know, to have your, to, to be um, amputated. Um, sorry about that. Not sorry. So, So, you know, the, one thing we like to do on the, on the podcast is to kind of get into what the mindset is when you're going through a, a very difficult process like that. Obviously, uh, it, you have to adapt to, you know, not having your leg anymore. And, and um, there's the physical challenges, but really, it's really a, a tough thing to deal with mentally. Uh, can we talk about, you know, how some of that was for you?
3: Uh, sure. Um, so when I got was shot and uh, ultimately ended up in an amputation, for me to amputate my leg was nothing. I didn't even care. I knew it was gone. And my main focus was to get back to war and just have a, you know, not revenge per se, um, just to um, try to do something back there with the boys and try to be part of the team again. So mentally, I was extremely stable, except for kind of the PTSD portion of it, like the, the going to war. That's the first time I ever shot at, you know. So it's uh, it's scary. If you're not scared, you're a freak, and you can be complacent all you want and as soon as you get hit that first time you're like oh shit that's what it feels like so there's a lot of guys out there go you know multiple deployments just say five to 15 whatever over the last 16 years or so you know maybe never been hit they've been shot at every time but once you get hit big difference mentally right you think you're invincible but now you're not invincible anymore and you'll that's probably one of the big takes from from my thing i I got a little skittish, you know. I wanted to face my demons, but the demons overcame me. Plus my boys kinda pushed it on me a little bit, stole my legs, stole my gun, made me hop everywhere. So I ended up sleeping with my leg and my gun underneath my blanket. So <laughs> <laughs> um, Ranger tab to me. So
1: Right, and um
3: the mentally, that's the mental portion I have for it, I guess.
1: Right, and then you have to go through like the whole physical therapy, like you know, running again, that kind of thing. Um, did you feel like it, it It kind of made you, like you kind of got out of shape in the process of, of you know, healing and stuff like that, like before you started the therapy again?
3: Absolutely. Uh, well, after I um, was shot, I lost half my body's blood supply. I um, was I weighed like 215 when I was shot. I, I think I weighed 160 when I left the hospital. Wow. And um, I gained it all back from my mama's... Uh, hot fudge Sundays and stuff i got my baby <laughs> fat back on i guess if you want to call it and then i started turning that baby fat into operational um strength and stuff i needed to do to get back over there because that were was going to be let me go as an iron marshmallow they needed to be back in my uh, fighting fate you know what i mean
2: right,
3: right.
2: And, that, and you can kind of tell from your voice how strong you are but i'm looking at a picture now that says you were at the warrior games in 2016 so obviously all that sort of all that stuff that you went through you just weren't prepared to stop
3: well yeah so that's another thing i i started getting involved with the warrior games in um, that time frame and the main reason i went to that was to give back to the, all the other amputees and mentally messed up people out there with ptsd tbis uh, bilateral amputees back injuries spinal wheelchair guys because, I mean, I, I classify myself with a left, you know, a, a one leg below the knee amputated. Didn't lose my tattoos, which is another story I could talk about, which is pretty <laughs> fun. Um, I don't consider myself that big of an injury, to tell you the truth. I mean, it's nothing to me. But when I see a guy in the Warrior Games, my prime example, this Air Force guy I saw a couple years ago. He uh, literally had maybe halfway down his humerus, which is his, his arm above the elbow that not that bone there chopped off and literally both legs right at the hips so no nubs and the right arm completely at the uh you know the shoulder so it could have been opposite Jesus. shoulders and uh he's doing a 50 meter swim so you can tell this guy's i think he was like a japanese guy he had a really long face you can tell the guy was a big son of a bitch i mean i would, if i had to guess his weight and height i would have bet he was six three 240 pounds yeah. so he's a big guy beautiful lady behind him It was probably his wife or girlfriend or whatever but um staying right beside him and he so i, I did the swim that year the 50 meter uh, freestyle swim and I, I thought i was gonna do pretty good i ended up taking uh, eighth place out of like 30 you know i'm a navy seal and there's no other navy seals that took clo- uh, better than eighth eighth place the guys that took first place as one-legged below the knee guys were swimming a a 50 meter dash in 26 28 seconds i mean literally almost michael phelps speed Oh wow! so i mean that's wonderful and all but when they drop this guy with no arms and no legs in the water and it takes him five minutes to go 50 meters that's the biggest applaud you'll ever hear and most inspirational thing that you can get out of this warrior games and that's what it's all about taking care of your friends cheering them on and to tell you the truth i think that's what that guy did to keep from having somebody blow his head off because he couldn't do it himself, he had no arms, couldn't even attach arms to his limbs that were so small. But he, I think he swam. If I'm not mistaken, twelve to fifteen hundred meters a day at the very least. That's what he for his mental stability part of his life, which is very cool.
1: Right, right, because you you know you got to kind of do something, and um, yeah, and is that with these held at um, West Point?
3: Well, that was one of them. Uh, I mean they're held at every military every year it changes what organization does it, what unit does it. So I don't know where the next one is. I'm kind of lost in the years the right now, but it goes from one unit to the other throughout it keeps going like that. so
1: <clears throat> and you, you mentioned something about a tattoo story or before right, right before you started talking about that. Can we talk about that?
3: uh the tattoo story uh about um daverns.
1: Oh no! I think you like right before you were talking about it. You said something about you didn't lose your tattoo or something like that.
3: Oh, oh my so so that, my whole right so leg. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So <laughs> when I got shot, obviously everybody's tracking me back home, and I guess some of the, my team guys were um, following, you know, in, like to talk or whatever. And they're like, "Turbo, Turbo got hit." And like, oh, like shit! What leg was it? Because my right leg is completely tattooed from my toes to my hip. I mean, oh, wow. com- completely covered. And they're like. So when I get back, I'm like, really? You cared what making sure my tattoo like, leg? I'm like, good God, they not like is he okay? Is he okay? You know? They are like, what leg was it? I'm like, Jesus. I mean, that's not that's not cool. <laughs>
2: but could <laughs> you know what you know? Table, Can you talk about when you were injured? As in did, did were you unconscious or
3: No, I never never fell unconscious completely. I mean they kept well, I couldn't, you know, refused morphine. For the eighteen hours, I had to because I had to keep my composure. Again, I got lost, have, a lot just, of blood.
2: A bit of self aid first, or were you able? Did you have blokes on you fairly quickly?
3: Well, there was a couple guys with us. um I'm not going to get the numbers or anything like that, or where it was, but you know, when you get hit the way I did, I, I bled a lot and lost yeah. a lot of bones. That's why I had to get amputated. Literally, one bullet um took it broke my tib fib, all my my metatarsal, my navicular bone, my talus. All metatarsals and it ended up underneath my big toe. I actually have the bullet that shot my leg. It's kind of funny. Oh, wow. Yeah, so.
1: Oh, wow. That's crazy. And um, so, you know, obviously the use of tourniquets and stuff uh, has really been kind of, um, it, it's now very common for guys, uh, you know, in, in special ops or, you know, infantry, Marine Corps, where everyone's kind of efficient with tourniquet use and, and bleeding control to a point, you know, outside of the medics. Uh, w- were you guys already, like, you know, using tourniquets uh, as, as widespread as it is today?
3: Absolutely. I mean, everybody knows how to do a tourniquet. Most of the guys are EMT, somewhat qualified. I mean, you, know, you okay. do a medical training every time. But fortunately, when I was shot, it was negative 20 degrees. I didn't have to worry about a tourniquet too much And after, oh, wow. okay. after the first hour or so of the 18 because my leg froze completely solid. Wow. So, again, I still lost a lot of blood, you know, two two liters of blood.
2: And it's, so, it's interesting it's just, you say that because back in um, campaigns such as the Falklands, they said many men that were left on the mountainside, you know, before they could be evacuated survived because they went slightly hypothermic. So, obviously, oh, I I was
3: hypothermic, all right.
2: Yeah. <laughs> and, and as bad as it sounds, that was probably a good thing.
3: Absolutely. I mean, I'd rather freeze to death than burn to death. Think about it. Yeah. I mean, you yeah, freeze yeah. to death, you pass out, you burn to death, you're going to be screaming like crazy.
2: Yeah. Right.
3: <laughs> screw
1: that. Yeah, and it's just, you know, <clears throat> we had a um a guy on here. He was a former uh, army infantry guy and he was he was the uh, the focal point of the movie Thank You for Your Service that came out a couple months ago. I'm not sure if you're familiar with it. Um but he he served in Iraq a couple of tours in Iraq and they were dealing with the um it's the the EFP, uh, IEDs, Chantel, is that what we were talking about? Yes. Remember? Yes. And and what I what I remember, you know, talking about was that the, you know, the way that the blast would like cut through guys' limbs is it would like, it was so hot that guys wouldn't bleed out. Like there was no blood from the explosion.
3: Yeah, it would just syringe it right there. I mean, it's like, yeah. you know, like you would pop it.
1: Right. And it's it's just crazy how that could work with the extreme heat and with the extreme cold as well. Right.
3: Yeah, possibly, I mean, oh, depend. Uh, hello, oh, yeah, yep, yeah, absolutely. I mean, sorry, I had on a mute there.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, um, Turbo, you know, I had uh Boyd Renner on the podcast previously. Uh, you know, he served for a long time in the SEAL teams and when Boyd came on you know we we talked about his, his story and and um you know some of the things that were important to him and then obviously we talked about Everence. Um, now yeah, as i told you uh, you know before we got on i was first told about it kind of a while back but just very briefly wasn't given much details and i i thought it was a little weird to be honest and um but then after sitting down with with Boyd and and talking about it in detail. I I thought it was pretty amazing. Um, Can we talk about, uh, you know, perhaps your involvement or, or, you know, what it means to you
3: and and that kind of thing? Uh, Absolutely. Uh, Everence was um, introduced to me through Boyd, through the main partner of the whole whole thing. And um, I ended up meeting him. Boyd asked me if I could meet up with uh, Pat, and I said, absolutely. I mean, what's it about? He goes, Oh, don't worry about it. He'll tell you later. I'm like, okay, cool. So, and it was going to meet him up at a um, a local uh, place that we go to, you know, for dinner and stuff like that. And I was going to had to pick my daughter up at a certain time, and she ended up, again, you know, she was a lot younger at the time, and she ended up having to go potty her pants. So I, I had to go get her from school and bring her home. I had to call the boy and say I can't make the meeting. So it was kind of weird. And then I called him up, back up a little bit later, and I said, hey, you know what? I'm back out right now. We have a babysitter. We'll meet you here. And he ended up walking into the, the bar we were at. We sat down. We started chatting like we've known each other forever. The perfect introduction to each other. And it was. We sat and talked for like four hours, had a couple IPAs, a couple Jägermeister shots, and he started talking yes. about me, about this whole thing. And I was, I was extremely skeptical, skeptical at first, and I didn't really understand it until he started explaining the process. And some of the people involved. I mean, I, I don't even know half the, the terminologies for these things, you know, you know, molecular biology and stuff like that. And right, started kind of like explaining stuff. Yeah, I mean, absolutely, the science behind it all is pretty weird. And I mean, I could understand a lot of people uh, being hate on it because they don't understand it. And again, once you understand it and you put it to, to work, it makes a lot more sense. And after probably you know four hours of this whole thing, well, I ended up wanting to love it, and I was like, "What does it take, what does it take to me get up, get on the team?" And so I really enjoyed it, and uh, after that, I've been like full blown, just loving it. And and well, again, once you understand it, it turns into love. But, and, with um, with, you, you with, especially what you can do to it, you know.
2: In layman's terms, how? Because like, I've, I've I didn't um, do the interview with um, with Boyd, so. If you were to explain to me in layman's terms, how well, how would you explain it? So I don't have any tattoos, for instance. If, if well, you- I
3: mean, everence stands for forever and reverence. Yeah. You know, reverence has meaning pretty much great respect for someone. You know, mm-hmm. obviously, forever is forever. So that, mean, that being said, so I have my daughter's DNA encapsulated from her saliva and yeah. two micron spheres. And but the spheres are uh, made of PMMA, which is the plastics you use in you know heart valves, joints, and all that other stuff. Your body can actually uh, keep in your body and not make a. Well, uh, some people are allergic to plastics, so that's very little. But then you uh, get that back in a powder form. You put it in one of the inks that you want, and you put it in your body where you want to. For instance, I have my daughter in my chest, on the eyes of the. Oni, which is a a Japanese demon, this is a good demon because it's protecting the mountain I have on my right sleeve where I actually have a helicopter. My best friend fell out and and died. So she's looking over the mountain where I came from. And wherever I go on a trip, she's with me. I don't have to have a picture. In other words, like a lot of guys carry pictures or a medal or a necklace, bracelet, whatever. No, she's with me. And my wife's in my hand and the stars in the skull. So she's with me.
2: Love, love. And how, how funny that when you were making that trip for the meeting, um, it was to do with her, why, why you couldn't make it. Do you know what I mean? Is that what you meant when you said that? There was a strange, that it was because of your daughter that you couldn't make the meeting.
3: Absolutely, so yes. Every, yeah. every
2: meeting you go to now, she's there.
3: Yeah, it's weird, huh?
2: Yeah. <laughs> but have, you, have you explained this to her? What does she think?
3: She's So this is so funny. So the video they made for the Everance.life site, I mean, I'm one of the main ones. I mean, I don't know why they picked me, but they did. So I had to do the best I could being on video for the first time. So listen, I started watching a video, and she was on my lap, and we're watching, um, you know, probably it could have been any one of 20 different cartoons she watches after school. Probably Eleanor Eleanor of Avalor or something like that. (laughs) By the way, I'm sitting in my daughter's um, vanity right now doing this (laughs) in a bedroom. so I, i'm watching this video with her she's like and she saw a picture of herself and that was at the warrior games and we were sitting at by the fountain and uh she's like can i watch that again so we ended up watching it like 10 times in a row she just loved it and she's like she, i'm full of tattoos and she's look, she's like um is that how tattoos are so it's not like a little tattoo piece of paper she, i go no nah, they kind of hurt a little bit there honey <laughs> she's like <laughs> but we ended, ended up getting her ears pierced to her recently at a tattoo joint uh, in town here and um, she she did very well with needle. so whenever she wants to get Everett she can get it awesome. <laughs> but yeah that's, that's, that's pretty much it, like,
2: it for that she'll just, she'll just see it as a collection of pictures you know being so young yeah that's pretty cool yep
1: <clears throat> so when you um, so like just for kind of people to understand a little bit Everett can be added to a tattoo that you already have right
3: Absolutely. Um, Everence can be added to a pre-existing, a new one, um, any anything you want. You don't even have to have ink in it. You can just put Everence in clear. I don't even know if there is clear ink. But you can get it in white or whatever's probably the best. Then or just then just put it in your body. I'm not sure if you mix it with water or not, but if you just wanted to get that without a, you know the big tattoo on your arm, you could probably do that if you wanted to.
1: Right, and I know um, Boyd was telling me um, that he wants to get. Uh, so he was involved with the um, the recovery of the of the
3: uh, yeah Red Wings
1: right from Operation Red Wings um, yeah and it's for anyone who doesn't uh, know it by name you know that's when um at the at the time it was the worst loss of life for naval special warfare in, in their history uh, when you know Marcus Luttrell and the uh, other three SEALs they were on like a reconnaissance mission they got compromised. Uh, They caught a a quick reaction force full of seals was on a helicopter to go get them. And that helicopter got shot down and everyone on board was killed. So obviously, it's a very important uh, and historical mission for someone to be involved with because they had to search, you know, search for the bodies and everything. And um, Boyd said that to him, it was one of the most important missions of his career. So what he did was he took some sand from the mountaintop where they were recovering Uh, The bodies of these seals, and he kept it with him. And he he said one of the tattoos that he's gonna get, he's gonna get that encapsulated into it. Um, You know, along with his wife's DNA uh, for you know a a different tattoo. uh, You know, which I think is pretty awesome.
2: And and, you know, you say there, John, it's like you do get. Obviously, when things like this um, come about, and when when there's there's meaning to something to somebody you will always get those negative people out there that kind of they they don't see the value and they don't see these different things but I think just as much as they don't see the value it doesn't matter because it's not there it's it's down to the individual and it's it's down to the individual whether you know they want to and I I think that that can't be a bad thing.
1: Yeah I mean it's like look if, if if you don't agree with something or whatever um you know if, if you think McDonald's is bad, are you going to stand in front of McDonald's with a sign all day and, like, bother people going in and out of it, you know? Um, <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's just, like, annoying stuff. and You're, it, you know, you're just hungry if you did that. That's yeah, the thing. It's like, who has fucking time to, to do that kind of shit, right? You know, we all have things that we have going on in our lives. And, um, you know, in my opinion, it's just a waste of time. Um, but, it, you know, it is what it is. Everybody can, you know, spend their time how they want to spend it. Um, so aside from the warrior games, you've done some other stuff, uh, for charity. Uh, am I right? Uh-
3: Absolutely. Uh, it's always for everything I do is either with, uh, wounded vets or active duty or for fallen comrades that, um, we want to honor in some way, shape or form. So, and I, the, my favorite is doing it for uh, the fallen because I, um, I love to give smiles on people's faces that are extremely sad. And that's yeah. one way of doing it. So, And uh, okay. one is uh, called Operation One Voice I've been with for the last three years. And uh, what we do, we do a 400-mile four, bike ride, a uh, road bike ride from um, um, Georgia to Florida. I'm not going to go tell you where, but it's a 400-mile bike ride. Nice. And we do about 100-mile 100, 100 days, and anywhere from 15 to 40 people on the team. And um, it's a good ass-kicker. And But the thing is though, we are doing it, you're like, it's just for a guy that's dead, so – I don't give a shit how much my ass hurts or my neck hurts or my back hurts we're gonna have fun and we're gonna talk and we're gonna you know talk about good times
1: and is it everyone doing it is it all like you know teammates and stuff like that or is there yeah, family involved or yeah.
3: uh... no there's no family involved we meet up with a family afterwards at a warrior weekend but at a certain place but we have everybody from you know uh, uh, other government agencies to to police to football players to yes. military and stuff like that, so it's pretty good, good group of guys, and we all get along. And I don't know how you couldn't get along, you know. But we all have feel the pain together, and we we laugh and and cry together, you know. So it's all good.
2: And, and those sorts of things is what it's that it's that, that sort of the, those words that you you hear and you and you you understand them when it works for you is that you know helping when you're doing something that's about someone else generally yeah. it helps you. Yeah, you because know, if you focus on yourself, it's very hard to so- kind of recover and 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 get that sort of stuff out. But if you make it, if it's about somebody else, it's far, it's, it, it seems far easier to do. It, if that makes sense?
3: No, I don't think that's true.
2: That <laughs> still sucks ass. <laughs> but you said you didn't care about the pain, <laughs> huh? <laughs> you said you didn't care about the pain.
3: Well, I don't care about the pain until it really, really hurts, and sometimes I
2: mean, you don't you know I mean, mean you might not. So, my reasons and it's how it must help the guys that are doing it is my point. Maybe i re- I worded it wrong. Well,
3: absolutely, absolutely. I mean, I don't get me wrong, I do hurt. You just might not see it as much on my face as you will somebody else's. <laughs> so, so, you know, when was my was leg, ble- when you see my nub bleeding underneath my prosthetic, when I take my leg off, you know, it's hurting, it's not feeling good. So, Shit. yeah, and and
1: well, this is,
2: yeah,
1: no, and just as far as like prosthetics, um. I would imagine over the years they have kind of improved. Have you felt like that is true?
3: Yes, the uh, prosthetics, I pretty much wear the same prosthetic I had when I uh, got my first one back in uh, 2002. Okay. I wear the same bottom, but I actually have another, well, actually my wife gets mad at me because she's like, Jesus, you got legs everywhere. I go, yeah, I'm like an <laughs> octopus. I got eight legs, real spider. <laughs> it's like, oh, look at you, you. I go, look at you two-legged guys. They're like, oh, you only have one leg. I go, no, nah, you're kind of wrong there. I got about 10 legs and I can't pick my left ankle anymore. <laughs> so, stuff like that, you got to make a joke out of it. You know, I can't get right. this here. When it comes to the technology, they have an advanced, a crazy advancement in, in prosthetics, right. um, especially, I would say, for the arms and the upper body. Like, um, I mean, the legs, are, the legs are legs. I mean, you can above the knee amputee, uh, quote above the knees, you know, AKs above the knee and i'm a bk below the knee um
1: and are, are those so, like i don't want to say like easier maybe that's not the right word but is, they, below the definitely easier. Okay. below the All
3: knees right. i'd rather have both of my legs chopped off below the knee than have one above the knee personally okay that's just me personally but some guys might argue but i guess you have to try it out yourself or to figure it out but um yeah the prosthetics especially for like um they have this Suit, I think it's called a skeleton suit or something now that uh guys that are par- paralyzed oh from yeah, the yeah yeah yeah. they get in this thing and they can walk around yeah and that's they're, crazy that's pretty cool and I, a couple of my friends are actually is like they' guinea pigs for that which is like hell yeah i'll try it I mean I'm not gonna ever walk i'll if they give me a chance to i will so why not why not try so yeah
1: it's pretty amazing and Chantel, during um you know during your you know your operational service did you deal with any of that as a medic? Like, uh, you know, I know you dealt with like a lot of casualties in your last rotation. Yeah,
2: yeah. It was in the amputees.
1: And- yeah, or like the you know uh, yeah, the I- wounds, kind of leading to that.
2: Well, I had quite. A, um, my first tour that wasn't the kinetic one. I was working more in the um, in the hospital, so that was kind of that was a real eye opener because we had you know a lot, a lot of guys coming in, and, and you know, the first couple of triple amputees, and and that was actually that was quite hard to deal with because you had to, you know, in my opinion in the field and things like that, it's no good turning up and having the shock on your face of how bad they potentially are, if that makes sense. So, you know, I was very aware that when, when they look at you, they're looking at, they're looking for a response because they're in a, you know, guys are in a very, very vulnerable position during those initial phases of injury, you know, until they actually get back home and start to process themselves. Right. What they don't need is is you know me turning up like fucking hell you know and sort of right, looking horrified right around yeah. right. them so yeah and I, I always think of the, the stuff the work that I do now and then just looking at the way that guys have um I, I, I say gotten over and then and actually moved forward and, and made amazing sort of gains of rowing the Atlantic you know missing limbs and Double, amputee, double amputees doing it, it's, you know, it's phenomenal. And it, it, it's really quite humbling. But I'm, I'm really proud to be part of it too. Um, because, again, if, if ever you're having a shit day, I just look around – you look around guys that you serve with and just think, well, it's, it's never really that shit, is it?
3: Right. Yeah, that's a good point.
2: But anyway, we're talking about prosthetics. And I, I saw the best thing on – I don't see many good things on Facebook, but I saw this yeah. one – and I shared it. It was a guy, he's in the UK and he, he makes prosthetic limbs for free for kids. And they're kind of, they're fun ones. So they're, they're made of like Lego and they're just stuff so they can kind oh, of play nice. with it. And it's I'll, I'll send it to you, John. It's a really amazing, you know, and just, you look at someone and think he's just a good person. He's not ex-military. He just, he's got his own little thing, you know, going on and, and just decided to do that for himself. And it's just, it was interesting. I thought, wow. Yeah,
1: it's pretty the- awesome.
2: Yeah, people out there doing just off their own backs. It's a nice it's a nice thing.
3: There's a lot of people out there and in, in, in a lot of places <laughs> doing a lot of good things for a lot of people. It's amazing. You don't even yeah. know, I mean, until you start re- researching it. And then you can't research enough to find out who's doing good things.
2: It gives you hope in humanity, doesn't
3: it? Yeah, if you believe in that. <laughs> sometimes you sometimes you wonder, right? You know? No, yeah,
2: no. Yeah.
3: Uh, yeah, I guess you just got to keep strong and uh, keep pushing forward and trying to do the best you can.
2: Yeah, right, absolutely. Yeah. So, so what are you um, from this? What What's your next challenge? Is in like the the Warrior Games? You're going to continue all of that sort of stuff.
3: Well, I'm not allowed to uh, do the Warrior Games anymore. So I've been uh, mentoring them and <laughs> helping out, coaching a little bit here and there. But I guess my uh, again talking about what I need to do. Something I like to talk about is is uh, short-term and long-term goals constantly. And you always hear goals, yeah, whatever goals. But I tell you what, without goals, you're not going anywhere. Um, so my next goal is to make Paralympic standard in the um, time oh, trial. So, oh, nice. And, yeah, as a, a time a trial t- bike. And then also air pistol, 10-meter air pistol or air rifle, which is stand-up. So those three things. And then I'm trying to make the – Invictus, uh, Team USA Invictus team uh, that will be in oh. Sydney this year. in October. Oh, nice. oh that's yes. in
1: October.
3: Yeah, so I'd like to make that team and uh, travel over there and uh, and have some fun with all the 17, 18 foreign nations. Meet some good people.
2: You might you might meet a ginger bloke from my country.
3: Oh, no, yeah, absolutely. I've been to uh, Perth before. I've never been to Sydney. I flew through Sydney, but uh, I went down to, when I was at Perth, I was uh, uh, out there visiting and I went down to Brisbane. Is it Brisbane or no, Fremantle? Oh, Sorry. That's, that's where Brisbane. Bon Scott's buried.
2: Oh Right.
3: I think Bon, Bon Scott from ACDC is buried in Fremantle oh. and went down there. It's kind of like a Jim Morrison oh. in, in the U.S. Oh. I think Jim Morrison is born and uh, buried in France though, if I'm not mistaken. Oh, is he? Yeah. Either way. Uh, it's He was an iconic uh, figure when it came to ACDC vocals and frontman. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Kind of, that was kind of cool. Yeah, that's my next adventure, and uh, besides that, i probably just uh, keep pushing forward and finding better things to do and help people out with.
1: And um, you know, just for anyone um, you know maybe anyone in the audience wants to kind of keep up with you. Is there any social media or, or uh, maybe a website or something where they can just kind of check you out or, or check out some of the things that you're involved with if that's possible?
3: Yeah, well, first off, I don't have a website because I'm not that important. Um, <laughs> second off, uh, I, I do have a, uh, an Instagram and a Facebook page, but I I very rarely post. I think the last time I post was a year ago, but I mean, I guess you can see the video. You can go to Everance.life for sure, www.everance.life. And, and if you want to order some Everance for you, your family or whatever, um, you can get it. Um, there's a 25% discount code for it. Uh if you use my, my code uh Sierra Tango one eighty five, which is my code, and my buds class one eighty-five. Nice. So ST one eighty five. So that's where that came from. If you wanna if you wanna try it out and check it out, but there's a lot of video cool videos on the site. Uh the whole procedure, what it looks like, some of the scientists and the tattoo artists we have involved. Again, it it's not for everybody I and mean, we don't want to try trying to sell something, but we uh it's definitely cool. I'll tell you what, when I got my chest done from Mike was one of the main tattooed artists on our team from uh, up in Long Island.
1: Oh, is that who you went to?
3: Yeah, he put up uh, in my chest. And uh, when he did it, it completely um, made a difference. I was like, holy Moses, this is weird. And I immediately felt different.
1: Yeah, and he's, he's a pretty good artist. So I'm, I'm oh, he's, am- he's
3: amazing. Absolutely amazing. I, I would say he's, if not the best in... Uh, Traditional Japanese, uh, he he probably, you know.
1: Yeah, he's definitely up there. I mean, in, in New York, there's like a small community of like um, kind of well-known artists uh, doing the traditional Japanese stuff. I just finished a three-quarter sleeve um, at a shop in, in New York. Uh, I believe uh, his shop, I believe they have two locations, one in Long Island, one in Manhattan.
3: Yeah, I think he has another one in, in Central New York also now too in the city. I think he might have three going, but okay. maybe he
1: has two. He definitely has two. Yeah, and it's just like a really small community, and um, in New York, as you know, as far as the kind of traditional Japanese stuff, and um, you know, for me, I just I'm like interested in in like kind of the history of it. You know, the art uh, side of it. You know, some of the, the the meaning of it. You know, I kind of try and find a deeper meaning in it. So um, I followed just like a whole bunch of tattoo artists um, and there's like really a small community from New York. So, um, you know, he's a really good artist. When I, when I first learned about Everence and I saw that he was involved, it kind of caught my attention, you know? Absolutely. All right. Great. So, uh, you know, Turbo, I want to thank you for uh, coming on to do this. Um, I know it was your first time doing a podcast and um, I guess, you know, doing what you've done in your career it probably could be a little weird to you know do this but i really do appreciate it and i know the audience will especially the younger guys you know looking to to uh walk in a similar path you know
3: absolutely or john hey thanks for having it, and again um it, this was actually pretty easy i thought it was gonna be a little bit harder but i uh kind of got comfortable with both of you uh john and chanel chanel
2: uh,
3: chanel <laughs> <laughs> that, that was uh australian for chatel yeah,
2: it's, it's good because I, I like the way you, you're referring to naughty and i'm british
3: <laughs> when it was i really appreciate you having me on so
2: <laughs> no it's been really good chatting to you
3: yeah if you ever need me to come on again i'll be more than happy to. so i really appreciate the opportunity to to do this and i owe you two cases of beer somehow you have to send me a shipping address <laughs>
4: yeah Over the radio, the SEALs reported, bin Laden was dead. The news of bin Laden's death brought celebrations to the streets of the United States. But it also haunted the world with memories of a clear September morning a decade before, when the streets of America were choked by terror. That mystique and that legacy goes way, way back to even... Vietnam and before, you know. The enemy knew, the men in green faces, if they were coming for you, you weren't coming back. Since World War II, SEALs and their forefathers have faced whatever threat the enemies of each generation have posed. From Hitler's beaches, Laden's terror. While the perils have changed and will continue to, the invisible men behind the face masks still claim a common heritage and future. No matter how sophisticated they or their foes become, they are simply frogmen.